Hey guys, Princess here. Welcome to Buy Bumpkin. Listen, um, it is December 26th. I shit the bed, so I forgot to record this earlier. So I need to get this out so you get your episode in the morning. Um, Merry Christmas to everyone. I hope you had a good Christmas. Mine was one of the worst Christmases I've ever had, and I've been homeless as a child during Christmas. And that's not to say anybody got shot or anything particularly terrible happened. This wasn't a murder she wrote Christmas, okay? No no crime needed to be solved. It just... It was terrible. And that's all I like to say about it. I like to move on just like I hope the calendar moves on. Uh, tomorrow's my wedding anniversary. I've been married 13 years. I am going... We're going to have a date night. And I personally don't believe date nights our actual thing when you're in a long-term relationship because dates are just when you do activities with people who you would also like to have sex with and being in a relationship is just doing a bunch of activities together and then having sex so I don't know how a date night is different than a regular night I don't know but I'm gonna try to have a good attitude about it and go even though I guess that we're gonna go through a drive-thru and then go to a Target I'm not sure. I'm unsure about how you go on date night during a fucking pandemic. I'm unsure. I don't want to sit outside and eat. I don't want to pretend to be homeless. Thanks. I don't want to eat in a car. I'm, I, what activities, what, what, what will we be doing? What will we be doing? I really have no idea. I tried to ask my husband. He tells me I plan ahead too much. That's right. 24 hours is too far ahead. What it must be like to live in that, that world. But okay. Okay. So, um, expect condescending tweets from me. <laughs> expect mean tweets from me tomorrow as I go out on this dumbass date. So, <laughs> um, I got problems guys, but what is a welcome, welcome distraction from your own problems? other people's problems so we're doing an episode of princess fix my life and that is where i find advice questions on reddit and i give advice for them do i give advice to them no that's too much i basically give advice to people who didn't ask me and i don't tell them directly so it's a lot of fun <laughs> so let's get to it so this first one by the way guys people i've said this before the last time i did a princess fix my life episode oh before I get there let me remind you guys that Ayama fixed my life is this is his last season it's it's doing some great fucking episodes though there's an episode about this woman who had fallen in love with this white woman it was a black lady who follows this white woman in the 70s and they raised their children together and she had gone down the black lady had gone down to the welfare office met a man met her social worker Caseworker, social worker, I don't know. Who do you call the person that manages your case at welfare office? She invited him back to the house, got pregnant by him, and her and her lesbian um, partner raised the baby together. I mean, it was like a Southern Gothic gothic novel, like so good. Their, their names, Miss Lula, Miss Nancy, Uncle Daddy. I think Uncle Daddy is from Claus, but the guy looked like an Uncle Daddy, so that's what I call him. Girl, these episodes are really good. So if you're not watching Ayama Fix, Fix My Life, go. This is the last season, and there's some good shit on there. Some good shit. That said, the other thing, on Reddit, people asking for advice, we don't even know your life story. Y'all want to write six paragraphs about this shit. And I'm just like, too much. And the more it writes, the more fake it seems. Just too many fucking details. Like, you're like, her temperature was 106.6 degrees. Okay. Sure. All right. I believe you. But like, even if it's a lie, just write less of a lie. It's too much. You're writing too much. <laughs> so I picked some questions. We'll see how it goes. All right. Um, this one says, I'm, uh, I am a 24 year old female. I work at a childcare facility. I love the kids. That's probably why I've stayed so long. Unfortunately, my coworkers are generally immature, passive aggressive, and rude on the daily. Thank God my frustrations haven't gotten the better of me yet 
and I've remained professional. I've applied for several jobs and I just did an interview for one I'm qualified for and think I have a chance of getting. Like I said, the exit interview for my job demands a reason for living, for leaving. She said that in the title. But my reason is that I just hate it there. I hate my boss, my coworkers, and I can't stand the attitudes of the parents. Girl, <laughs> me neither. And the pay is dismal. I dread going there every day and I have to get out. Imagine working in a daycare and you got to keep coming in there and the parents are like, why did little Bobby pee on himself today? And you're like, I'm not in charge of little Bobby peeing on himself. Why didn't you potty train him? <laughs> uh, my kid's got a mark on him. Like, meanwhile, if I was a parent, I'd definitely be like, why does my kid have a mark on him? But still, I can imagine being a daycare worker being like, I don't know. <laughs> like, he's just clumsy. <laughs> he's, he's, he falls down all the time. What do you want me to do? Carry him around? Put a bubble on him? He falls. <laughs> I'm just imagining being a daycare worker and I don't like it. <laughs> if I don't have something to say that's professional in my back pocket, I don't know how I won't stumble through it. I'm kind of awkward. Does anyone know what the best way to do this? I've never done an exit interview before. Well, that last line is uh, is like super obvious because just so you know, it's an exit interview. You don't have to tell them shit. You've already got a new job. By the way, you don't have a new job. So I like that you're practicing, right? for your ex interview but don't count your chickens before they're hatched anyway they do not make you give a reason okay they can't they have no power over you when they ask you for your reason you could say i'd rather not say i just i just don't want to work here anymore you could also say i don't like anybody here i don't like this job you can be professional and say i find it hard to work with everyone people are rude i i just I don't, it doesn't feel like a place where I can comfortably work. You can find a professional way to say that. If you don't want to say that, if you're like a type of person that doesn't want people to know when they're doing a bad job, because I am someone who loves to let people know when they're doing a bad job. So, <laughs> shocking. So I would absolutely say the reason I am leaving is because it's pretty hostile around here. People are rude. They're condescending. I feel like people are unprofessional and immature. And I don't want to work around that. It's a bad work environment. And I'd probably name some names. I'd be like, Miss Stacy, Juju. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, here's my list of people that are the reason I'm leaving here. <laughs> but if you don't want to be like that, I get it. Because an exit interview is just an exit interview. By the time you do that exit interview, you've already got a new job. And they've already given you a reference for it if you needed one. So don't fucking worry about that. But... Let's say you're like, I absolutely have to give an answer. Okay, fine. The answer is this. Better opportunity. I would say that the, the new job I was going to just gave me, just there was more room to, to move up. You could say something as innocent as it's closer to my job, to my house. You could say they're going to pay me more. You can really just say whatever you want to. But a very generic answer is, I, it's just more opportunity there. And, that's, and leave it at that. Okay? All right. And good luck. I hope you get a better job. And I'm sorry about those parents that keep showing up because, man. Woof. Um, this one is about family guilt tripping me about social distancing. I live in a medium-sized city and my family lives in a small town nearby. They continually insist on inviting me out to eat and join them at family gatherings. And I continually decline because I don't think it is appropriate given lots of them are over 50 are not taking this pandemic seriously. I just need to know what to say to them. I'm 30, I'm a 30 year old and I feel like I'm dealing with spoiled children because they guilt trip me and try to make me feel bad. Like I'm letting the family down when I'm just trying to be safe and proactive. I've seen a lot of this like on social media and I know like friends that are going through this stuff. And the first thing I always think is that if your family is guilt tripping you about not visiting during holidays or going to social gatherings, Right now, when everyone's really trying to social distance and just try to stay home as much as possible. Um, these are the type of people who guilt trip you all the time. They probably guilt trip you about whether or not uh, what your job is and whether you're spending and whether you're like you're, you know, you're taking the career path they want you to and whether you have kids yet. Like these are the type of people that seem like they're in your business anyway. I don't I don't think that a hands off family who doesn't regularly guilt you would be guilting you about this. You know what I'm saying? They already have it in their arsenal. So you're used to dealing with their guilt. You have to be. So what do you normally do? That's what I ask. 
But if you're looking for just like a generic answer, I would tell them, I would act like I was really upset I wasn't going to be there. And I would just say, you know, oh, I'm so sorry I can't be there because, you know, the social distancing rules. Ugh, I just really would love to be there. I'm so sad I'm going to miss it. And, but seem very firm in it. Like, it's almost like when you're turning down an invitation to go somewhere with someone, but you're telling them that you can't go because, I don't know, you got to work. I would just, I would not talk about the fact that they're not social distancing. I would act like social distancing was absolutely not a choice for me. I just had to. And so, and leave and leave it at that. And if they're really pushing you, I know I keep telling people to lie. Like, I feel like, Princess Fix My Life is just me being like, just go ahead and lie, girl. Just go ahead and lie. <laughs> but I would tell them I don't feel well. That's what I would tell them I don't feel good. I would tell them one of my kids don't feel good. I would tell them I need to check with my husband. Anytime I, anytime I tell anybody I have to check with my husband, I'm lying. I don't check with nobody. I can do whatever the fuck I want to. <laughs> I don't check. But I would tell them I have a fever. Mm-hmm. And even if they're not social distancing, I'm, if you tell them you have a fever, they'll probably be like, okay, I understand. That's what I do. And guilt only works if you let it. And I know that's like really fucking easy for me to say. I feel guilty about all kinds of things. It's part of the reason I still participate in things like Christmas and birthdays and Halloween and stuff like that is because I want my kids to have good lives and I don't want them to ever miss out on anything I could easily do for them. So, and that's a guilt thing. But remember that they can only say what they want to say and you get to choose how you feel about it. So if they're like, you really should come, we haven't seen you, it's not that big a deal, none of us are sick and stuff, you already know what you want to say what you need to control is how you feel about it. And if you, if it's very hard to hear them saying things like, but when are you going to come? Blah, 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 blah. I would, I would limit my contact with them. I mean, I'm not telling you to block your granny. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that like, I would just be very careful about when I talk to them and how much I talk to them and not give them the opportunity to say guilt, guilt trippy type things to me and not give me, give them the opportunity to, to ask me, will I come again and again and again? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're all dealing with that. And like, I'm so tired of like having to be the person that is supposedly shaming people for whatever they're doing. Like I, the government has not done its job. It should pay people to stay home. It should enforce gathering rules and, like me on Twitter is not supposed to do the job. And so like, I've, I've really like this whole pandemic, not the whole, but at least after April, I've been really trying hard to be like, I am, it doesn't, I'm not retweeting shit. I'm not going to spend a lot of time investigating shit. I'm not going to be worried about it. Like I, I just have to do what I have to do. And other people are doing what they're doing. And it's really a lot of wasted emotion thinking, thinking to myself, damn, they're not at home. If they had been home, we get out. Like it's a lot of wasted emotion. The reason they're not home is because either they must work to feed themselves. Either they're at fucking pool parties and shit because they have been led to believe it's okay. And the government should be doing its job. I'm tired. Like you, when we think about, so many problems. We shift so much personal responsibility away from the government that we pay to do its job and onto people's personal responsibility, right? What do they say? We're all passing around the same fucking $50 on GoFundMe to help people get through, through bad times when the fact is we pay the federal government billions of dollars and they have our money sitting there and they can use it for some shit and they don't. Instead, they use the pay pay politicians who don't do shit. <laughs> they use it to fund space wars. They use it. They do. They do all kinds of fucking shit with it. 
when what they could do is pay us to stay the fuck home and then enforce the stay at home. That's what they could do. But you know what? I'm not, I, so I'm just, I'm just uninterested in like put it, placing personal individual blame on people. I'm just uninterested in that. Um, and so like, I would invite you to kind of like let that shit off your spirit. Like one, don't worry about shaming them. They, people are going to do what the fuck they're going to fucking do. And, but it's important that you keep yourself safe and it's important that you do what you can to keep others safe. Remember that. I feel like a lot of times when someone is trying to guilt me, the reason I don't feel guilty is because I know I'm in the right. If you feel like you're in the right, then you can't be guilty about it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Try that. I know. It's tough, though. It's fucking tough. I'd stop. I'd, I'd mute people who are posting about being places. I would um, limit my fo- text combos and shit and phone calls with people who are going out and about. I would do that. Um, just for my own mental health. This one's about advice for starting and most importantly, keeping a journal. I'm really struggling currently. I think keeping a journal will at least help keep my head thoughts in check a little. I've tried and failed to keep a journal so many times. I overthink everything. And I think I should start with so many ideas and things I feel I should do right that I give up before I barely started. I would be very grateful for any advice anyone can give me on how to start a journal, what stuff I should and shouldn't bother keeping in it, and most importantly, how to keep it for more than a couple of entries before giving up. Also, if anyone has any stories on which keeping up a journal has helped them, I'd love to hear experiences. Okay, so in terms of me, I've been journaling on and off since a kid. I just like to write things. That's that's the reason that I've always kind of have a journal. It's fucked me over sometimes. People have found journals and... <sighs> A lot of things have happened because people have found journals. But I mean, the truth is, I just like to write things. I it's how it's how I process a lot of things. So first, I want to be clear that like a journal might help you, but if it's a chore to do, it's not gonna be helpful. You know what I'm saying? Like it might be helpful for me to I don't know run six miles every day, but if it's so hard for me to do that I won't do it. It's not going to be helpful. So what I'd say about journaling is one, you're the only person that's supposed to read it, right? Unless you think someone's going to find your journals after you die and, and make a movie about your life. In that case, I would suggest that you're a Leo. <laughs> no, um, I think that a lot of people get really ambitious with journaling because they think that they need to write everything that happened today and they need to tell every story and it needs to like, and at first and it needs to be coherent and well-written and punctuated correctly and grammar. Like it doesn't need to be that. What it needs to be is a snippet of what you're thinking, feeling in that moment. And so journaling, if you journal for 10 minutes and you just write, five to 10 sentences, that's journaling. You do not need, it doesn't have to be 20 pages of what, of every detail of everything that happened today. Now it could be if that's how you get down, but if you're somebody who has a hard time keeping up journals, then it doesn't sound like that's preferable to you. So for me, keeping as a part of my routine is um, like one of the first things I do in the morning, usually while I'm eating. Um, I eat about the, I eat the same meal every morning and I sat my journal down next to me and I I write out some stuff then. And I usually keep it to just what's on my mind just then, okay? So it's almost like if I were gonna tweet something, what would I be tweeting about right now? Sometimes it starts off with, I hate my husband. Why did I marry this man? <laughs> just dramatic, just like that. Oh, if I could go back in time. Or it starts off with, I'm so happy. I don't know why. I just feel good. And I try, and when I'm, when I am feeling happy, I try to just like quickly jot like whatever's, whatever's coming to mind so I can like kind of understand how I got into that mood because I want to get back into those moods. Um, sometimes I'll talk, it'll just be something like uh, what my plans are today, what my hopes are for the day. But it's just a few lines. Start small is what I'd say and work it into your routine. So if, you could do it like at breakfast, like I do, because I'm usually eating breakfast alone. 
or it could be something you do before you get out of the bed. You know what I'm saying? Like when is, or it doesn't have to be in the morning. It could be in the evening. Like you could do your bedtime routine, do your skin routine, um, hop in the fucking bed and then write five or 10 lines. You could, it could be something. Ooh, I used to journal on the train all the time. Cause I would, I would have to take the, I had a long commute. So I would just, you know, write a few things. Yeah. Figure out a routine. Do, do it small. Also remember you don't have to journal every day. Like figure out what, what, what frequency works for you. Some people only do like once a week. I mean, the truth is most of our lives are boring. Most of the time we don't have any, we're not thinking about anything. We don't have anything to say. But so what if, what if like you did something every Sunday night? What if you did something every other week? Every other uh, day experiment is what I'm saying. Let's see. What's the next one? The other day, my friend and I, both 21 year old males were playing fighting and wrestling for fun. He pushed me to the ground and whipped his jacket around me and the zipper wrapped wrapped around my face and hit me in my left eye. I thought I was going to vomit from the pain. I spent the whole day in the ER with a different eye specialist. My vision is permanently damaged. I can still see, but the colors are different and there's a black shape surrounding my eye that will never go away. Right now I'm prescribed two different eye drops and have to wear an eye patch. I can't even open my eye because it's so sensitive to light and it's extremely painful. It could take up the four weeks just for the redness and swelling to go away, but the damage to my vision is permanent. I have never felt this type of disappointment or anger before. I do not want to wall on self-pity, but I am irate. Words cannot describe how angry I am at my friend for doing this. I know it was an accident, but it was a stupid one that lacked any form of judgment. My friend feels very bad, but that's not good enough for me. How in the world do I accept that my vision is permanently damaged? How in the world can I help my pure anger towards my friend? I really don't know what to do. Well... I apologize, but I'm a mom and I'm going to tell you it's all fucking fun and games till somebody gets hurt. And this is exactly why I say things like get off each other. Stop rolling around. Stop play fighting. Why are we play fighting? <laughs> you guys are 21 years old. I certainly would have told you to sit the fuck down. But this is part of the reason why is because accidents happen and then like we cannot go back. Um, I, I, I guess I would start with the anger part, right? Because you're super angry at your friend. Probably angry at yourself too. Although you're not really expressing that. Or maybe you're not there yet. But the anger is valid. Like it is a normal emotion. It is a sensible way to feel you're mad right now. Because you feel like they took it too far. And now you are experiencing incredible loss. Like being able to see. Yes, grateful to be able to still see. But losing partial eyesight and not knowing if it'll keep going further or like you have no idea. And it just seems like, I bet it seems like in a split second, everything changed. Okay. Processing that anger is going to take time. Okay. Um, obviously I would suggest a therapist, but that's because like, not because it would fix everything because therapy doesn't fix everything. Therapy just gives you the opportunity to work on something, work on it with somebody who hopefully has some professional experience that can help guide you. Like they can't fix you and they can't like make everything better. And I mean, maybe if you go to therapy, you go to therapy for 10 years and you're only like marginally better. I mean, you should switch therapists. If that has something like that happens, but like, I'm not saying going to therapy would fix everything, but I'm saying it might be able to guide you into processing that anger. Okay. Um, I also, maybe you're not ready for this, but I also think we need to take some personal responsibility too. Like it's not all your friend's fault. The two of you were play fighting. The fact that they did something that resulted in an eye energy injury for you that also resulted in eye and eyesight loss is terrible but you could have possibly done the exact same thing to them and you, i know you're saying oh well i would have never done i don't ever throw my jacket because of a zipper dude you don't know what you would have done maybe you would have pushed them 
the wrong way and they would have fell and, and, and a, a pencil was in there. Who fucking knows? Who fucking knows? The fact is, is that like you chose to engage in this behavior that resulted in this injury. It, it might take you a while to get there to where you can talk about that, but you bear some of the personal responsibility for this as well as your friend does. I feel like if it were me, I would, because I know my emotions run hot sometimes, real fucking hot, I probably would avoid saying anything right now. Because what I'd want to say is probably not what I want to say two years from now, right? So I'd avoid saying anything right now. I'd, I'd work on processing my anger with a professional and I'd mostly just work on my health, you know, and work on nursing my eye, work on trying to get more, trying to just really focus on, um, making sure I'm doing the best, whatever I absolutely can to, to heal my eye and to avoid further eye loss. And like, dude, this is exactly like 20 year old boys roughhousing is like one of my, is one of my least favorite fucking things. Like, it's why I can never watch those jackass shows. I'm just like, God, this is like, somebody's going to get hurt for what? Is this funny? Like, what are we doing? And I just, it's a shitty place to be, dude. A shitty, shitty place to be. Okay. Um, Next one. I'm a high school senior and I decided 2020 was the best year to take AP classes. I chose my classes before the whole pandemic thing. And if I had known I would be dealing with unfamiliar schedules and anxiety, I'd have chosen regular classes. I have a B, a D, and two Fs through my extra, though my extracurriculars are all, though my extracurriculars are all A's. But the thing is, I've never actually gotten below a C in my classes, excluding last nine weeks, which is, which was all C's. With the pandemic and stuff, it's hard enough, but I recently started doubting what I want to do with my life and my goals are worth reaching at all. I don't know how to deal with that, so I don't know how to tell them or how they react. I'm trying to clean my room now so they don't yell at me for that later. I tried to reorganize my laptop app so I wouldn't have to rearrange it when they probably ground me. So any advice on how to tell my parents without making it worse? Keep in mind, they haven't asked about my work at all, so I've told them nothing. This sounds very familiar, okay? Um, I've talked about this a little bit before. When I was in high school, uh, well, in general, I was like a very like on the track type of kid. I mean, I definitely did my dirt. I definitely got in trouble sometimes. But in terms of school, like I really just, like my grades were important to me. And a lot of my self-worth was based on how well I did in my in my grades. And I... By the time I was a junior, I had all AP classes, my junior and senior year. To graduate my senior year, I just had to go to my English class because where I went to school, you had to get four years of English credit. So I needed that English class to graduate high school, but that's all I would have to go to. And, you know, I spent half the day at the medical school because I was going to the magnet school for sciences. Like, I just... I always had an extra project I was doing. I was just, and I, and A's were the, like, like it just never occurred to me that I wouldn't get A's. It just, I just got A's. That's what I did. And like, <laughs> I'd have to be on some special pan- panel for students to <laughs> like, like I was always volunteering for shit. I was always doing stuff. So what happened to me is that my f- Looking back, I obviously dealt with depression through most of my life, okay? But my first, like, real taste of, like, debilitating depression, I was, like, 17 years old. I was about to graduate. I had, like, a, uh, I had a rough romance, okay? A guy I've been dating since I was 14 years old got one of my friends pregnant. A very close friend who then, I mean, he's obviously cheating on me all the time, but, who she was white she had racist family and so her being pregnant with a black child was a problem she was pregnant we had to like it just very much was like i have 
experienced these great this great loss, but I'm also having to help and take care of someone else. And just a lot of shit was going on that year. And I just kind of stopped. And then, so to the point where like someone had to call my, like my parents had a teacher conference about me, which they, my parents never went to parent-teacher conference night for me. They never got a call from a teacher. They, they just didn't, they, I was, I was a wash and go kid. You just kind of threw me out and I was like, all right, I'll handle it. See you later. That's just how it went. And so like, I remember the teacher that called cause I just, I didn't have, I just had really terrible grades and I was very resentful of him. I was like, how dare you? Like, I didn't have to show my mom my report card. She didn't ask about it. I didn't need to get it signed. I don't remember needing to get it signed. So I don't think I ever showed it to her. She didn't, it just, my grades were my business. And she knew there were going to be A's anyway. So I wasn't telling her about this shit. And so she, so when he called, I was so fucking angry with him. I was like this, because I had like a C or something. And I was like, that is a passing grade. He was like, well, you've never had a C. And I was like, so? Like, I'm, I can have a C. I'm going through some shit. I can have a C. I can't believe you fucking called my house. And, um... So I kind of had to like push through that to graduate and then I'd already been accepted. So I went to college and now I was in a dorm and my roommate got pregnant and left like first couple fucking weeks. She imported a boyfriend with her from fucking Northern Virginia and he imported his sperm and she, and they were, <laughs> it was over with. So, <laughs> so I had a single for the rest of the year. And so no one could see me. No one knew what I was doing or what I couldn't do. And I just fell into like this deep, dark depression where I felt like I was like in a crack house. I felt like my dorm was a crack house. I wasn't eating. I wasn't, well, I was eating. I was eating too much, but I wasn't eating in regular intervals. I would just eat. I would just like binge and then not eat for two days. And then binge, not eat for two days. Not something I could do at home because people would notice. Um, it was my, I, I like, I, I dabbled in binge, binging, but not like that. And I wasn't really bathing. I was just watching TV. It's the first time I saw Wild at Heart. Do you guys know that movie with uh, Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern in it? I was like, am I high? What the fuck am I watching? I did a lot of, like, I just kind of, like, crumbled. And I was very sure I was broken. Cause I'd never been like this. I'd never, I mean, I had a little hint of it as I was leaving high school, but I'd never been like this. I was just someone who did things and got things done. And like, I wasn't going to my classes. No one was asking if I was going, like it was, I don't know. It was a, it's a big turning point in my life. So like one, I feel a lot of empathy towards you because I feel like a big, like you're someone who's used to like things just clicking, like not having to study too much, not really having, like, just kind of like, I could, I could just kind of like fuck around if I wanted to and I'd get an A. It's not a big deal. Like, <laughs> I just, I just remember my brother was talking about, me and my mom were talking about his grades and I was just like, cause he was always like a CD student and I was just like, just like, I don't know, read, like, skim it, skim the, skim some chapters and, like, just go in there. You'll, you'll get it. <laughs> eliminate two, two, you'll get, you eliminate two questions, maybe two answers right off the bat, and there's only two left. Just use your best judgment. You'll be fine. <laughs> and, like, I, I really didn't have, like, a lot of, like, empathy towards my brothers because they all weren't great, didn't have great grades. One of them had a learning disability. I just was like, I don't, seems like you should take care of that. Seems like, I don't know, I just, <laughs> I just did not have a lot of it. And um so I get it. I get what you're saying that like you're used to you're used to getting great grades and you were like I got all my AP classes and everything's going to be fine. I'm a senior and a lot of things just kind of hit at once. A fucking pandemic where it changed everything like the how you go to classes and everything. And then and like how you learn and, and like spit knowledge back out. And then here you are like thinking about what the future is going to be and realizing that maybe what you always thought it was going to be, it's not going to be that. 
Um, same for like, I've been through all that. And the first thing I would tell you is to go tell your parents. And I would tell them as soon as possible. I love that you're trying to clean your room <laughs> and work on your apps. <laughs> cute, cute. Love it. <laughs> uh, you're thinking, okay, I love that about you. But just go fucking tell them. And be as honest as possible and just say, listen, the pandemic fucked me up. The pandy fucked me up. And here I am. These are my grades. And right now this is what I have. And I'm really worried about what's going to happen next. And now understand that they might be angry, but and even if it seems like they're mad at you, they're not mad at you. They're mad about the situation. Even if they're yelling at you, they're not really mad at you. It's One of, like, one of the hardest parts about me and my mom's relationship is that, like, when she realized little by little that I was not a wash and go kid and that you couldn't just, like, send me off and do everything and then everything would be okay. You did have, you should have spent more time asking where I was going and seeing what I was doing and because I did a lot of shit I had no business doing. I did a lot of dangerous things and um, I got myself wrapped in the situations that, Maybe I had time to worry about. I I had I had plenty of time to be like fucked up. You know what I'm saying? And like maybe if somebody had like been asking where I was going and like been you know checking on my grades and showing up for me, then they would have noticed beforehand. So just know that like if they're upset. They're, they're probably going to be mostly upset at themselves because that's how people are. People really, people care more about themselves than they do about other people. It's just how it goes. And they're going to be thinking, damn, how did I miss this? But the important part is that you bring them into it so you two, three, whoever, can come up with a plan of action of what to do now. Because as a senior, you are, you know, grades are, we're finalizing grades. So the question is, what happens next? And they can help you get with teachers and counselors and administration and figure out how bad this is and what it might affect and ways that you can mitigate the damages. But it's important to not be too hard on yourself because we are in a pandy and nobody is, is operating at full steam. Nobody is operating at this at the level they were always operating at. Going to school remotely all of a sudden is so fucking different. It's so different. And let's not forget that most of us are experiencing some sort of pandemic depression. If things ain't hitting like they used to, okay? So breathe, go tell your parents. The longer you take to tell your parents, the worse it's going to be. And I know like it's easy for me to say that, but it just we're just past the point where you can handle this by yourself and they wouldn't know. Go talk to them. Um, also, this isn't going to define you. Like, this isn't even going to be a big deal. Like, the only reason I talk about it is because it comes up, but it's not something I think about all the time. Like, that break I had when I was, like, 18 years old, that depression, that depressive episode I had, that, like, it did not ruin my life. It didn't. And this isn't going to, these are just, it's high school. It's not going to ruin your life, I promise. Well, I mean, unless you, like, kill somebody or have a baby. Those are the two things that will, like, absolutely affect your life in high school. Everything else, I feel like you can, you can, we can overcome. Um, the next one. My ex messaged me on Christmas. I hope everyone had a good Christmas. No, we didn't. But thank you for asking and hoping and wishing for us. The advice, my ex who broke up cheated, slash cheated on me, on me, and moved on to someone else really fast, messaged me on Christmas morning saying Merry Christmas. We don't follow each other on social media, so she had to go out of her way to go onto my profile and message me. I'm confused. Can I get some clarity on this? She said to herself, it was unhealthy for us to be talking and messaging each other. Okay. Ignore that shit. Ignore it. People act like this around Christmas and around holidays. Maybe you'll get one on your birthday too. And I want you to ask yourself, because she said it's unhealthy for you guys to be messaging each other. Do you feel like it's unhealthy? They cheat. She cheated on you. She moved on to someone else really quickly. She said, don't contact me. I'm sure that's why she told you it was unhealthy. Don't contact me. And then on Christmas, she out here sending out Merry Christmas texts. 
block her. Block her ass right now. Don't do it. It is almost... <laughs> if you watch Hallmark movies, which I just found out my mother watches Christmas movies all fucking year long. She doesn't like Christmas either. I don't know what the fuck she's doing. <laughs> but if you watch Hallmark, you will be led to believe that people break up with someone and then circle back later and then it works out. That's how I'm, that's not you. Those are exceptions to the rule and you are not the exception. You are almost never the exception. This did not work out for a reason. This person cheated on you. So now they're your mortal enemy, okay? You have got to treat them like they are a fucking enemy. They cheated on you. They moved on to somebody really quickly. And they said, stop talking to me. So stop talking to them. Block them. Block them, block them, block them. Hit the block button. If I knew who you were, I would run up to your phone and hit the block button. Um, I think my sibling wants to transition is the name of this. Background. My sister came out as gay 10-ish years ago. She always preferred pants to dresses, men's clothes in general, keeps her hair super short, prefers masculine-leaning activities, etc. She's currently married to a bisexual woman. Last time we were together... She said there's something she's been meaning to tell me, but she was really nervous too. I told her I'm always available as long as it isn't life-threatening. She can take as much time as she needs. That's where she wanted to leave it that day, but I'm expecting she's getting ready to come out again. This time is trans. Just because of her history and from what I know of her in our 25-plus years on Earth together. I won't know if that's what it is until she tells me, obviously. I don't want to force her, but I've been thinking about how I respond if that's it. I don't want to make it a huge thing because I'm guessing she doesn't want it to be. But something like, yeah, I guessed, I'd guess feels too much like brushing off any advice. I think that part of the responsibility of, of being the person someone comes out to, whether that's gay, trans, whatever they're coming out to you as, is to listen, to not be in such a hurry to be like, I knew because although like it's a relief when, when someone's like, Oh, that's cool. I knew about that. Um, that you don't have to like, it feels like you're, you're already kind of like, um, halfway out, but also it's a big deal. And I can tell that your sister, whatever she's about to tell you, cause I mean, we don't know what she's about to tell you. We really don't. We don't know if she's about to tell you that she's not going by she anymore because that's not pronouns for her. We don't know. But whatever it is, it seems like it's not something that she feels incredibly comfortable. Like she, she's nervous to do it. So I think that your only job in this is to receive information let them know you're grateful that they're willing to share this with you and tell them how much you love them and how how you're going to how you're going to be on their side as whatever wherever their journey takes them that's it very low key listen do not interrupt very hard for me i love to interrupt it's mostly cuz i just like i want to get in the conversation but but be quiet listen reiterate how much you love them reiterate how grateful you are that they feel comfortable to come out come over here and tell you a hard thing that it seems like they've had a hard time trying to trying to give the courage to say and reiterate that you will be by their side wherever they go however they're going to get there and then i think a nice thing would then you know to ask what do you, what can I do to help you? What can I do to make things easy for you? How can I, because remember, ally is a verb. I mean, not really, but it is, you know what I'm saying? You got to do something. So if you love your sister and your sister comes in there and says, actually, I go by he, him now, or actually, I'm, actually, I'm non-binary, they. And like, whatever it is, if you want to be an ally, you don't just accept, you also help. 
You do some shit. So I ask them, what do they need from you? How can you help them with this? That's what I do. Yeah. All right, next one. My girlfriend of two years just called me and told me she has been thinking of breaking up for a few weeks. She says she doesn't think she has feelings for me anymore. I don't know what to say or feel. It feels completely out of nowhere for me. I'm very happy in our relationship. We have managed to make it work through COVID. I don't know what to tell her as I don't want to break up. We usually talk every day, but haven't even texted in a few. Please send help. If somebody wants to break up with you, let them. One, you cannot control what other people want to do. I know that if somebody wants to break up with you, and you don't, and like it came out of nowhere, you're like, no, 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 let's fix this. Yo, it's this must be a mistake. But talking someone into staying with you is never a good idea. One, if you're not successful, you've embarrassed yourself. It's really, I mean, imagine begging and pleading and like trying to talk, and then the person just like, mm, no, that's embarrassing. And two, if you are successful, now you've just like lawyered someone into loving you. It's, it's, it's still humiliating. I understand that like this came out of nowhere for you. You didn't know that there was going to be like any, any like, uh, you didn't know you were having problems, but she did. And sometimes relationships end with a whimper, not a bang. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. Sometimes the person is just like, you know, the feelings I thought should be here aren't here. The, or I want to be in this type of relationship, but I can't be in that relationship with this person. Like it kind of does like the reason she wants to break up doesn't matter. The fact that she wants to break up matters. And like, I would suggest that you just move on. That's what I would suggest. Um, let's see. What's the next thing? I want to quit my job, but because we are chronically understaffed, if I or any of my coworkers leave, then either my workload will be put onto them and we're already spread too thin or the program might shut down. Three people have been doing the work of what is supposed to be eight. It's been a conversation that we, the coworkers, have been having lately since my company has been doing shady things. I've been here for three years now. Funny enough, there are a lot more dissatisfaction with staying there than I am. They, they're a lot more her, her coworkers, his coworkers, whoever's coworkers. A lot of talk is around the pros and cons of we all just left. Also, there's a dream job near me that I'd love to apply to, but I don't want to go to an interview, then then add an extra problem. It complicates things in the sense that we have become very close friends over the course of this year, and I don't push our work onto each other, but that means we're just waiting for interviews and new applicants that never come. Also, we just hired someone who is now leaving after a week because the job isn't what they expected when they were interviewed. Um, fuck that job. And I'm not saying fuck your coworkers because they are people, but fuck that job. Too many of us, including myself, think of our jobs as, and I'm not, I don't do, I don't think of my jobs as family, but you know what I'm saying? Like we think of like, we think of our jobs as like where we have to do things and how we're, what we're supposed to do. And the, I understand that your company or organization is understaffed in your department and that you're worried about what happens with your coworkers, but you don't want to work there and you do, and there is a dream job available and you applying for your dream job is not you screwing over your coworkers. That is your employer that's screwing everyone over. Uh, you need to do make the best decision for yourself. And if you want to be kind to your coworkers, which I appreciate, and I'm sure they'll appreciate too, give plenty of fucking notice and that's it. And continue to be friends afterwards. Do not stay in a job you don't like where you're overworked and I'm assuming underpaid because you can't do that to your coworkers. Just do what's best for you. It, remember that if your employer thought what was best for your employer was to let you go, they would. N Very rarely does someone keep on an employee that they can't afford because it would hurt their feelings to be let go. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying don't fucking count on it. Don't put all your chips on it, okay? So I'm telling you, do what's best for you. And I think you've been honest with your coworkers, and that's, I mean, that's, I feel like that's the best you can do. So I got clothes for Christmas gift, but the person didn't keep the receipt, and they are way too big. Can I buy the same item, return the bigger items with a new receipt? So, what you should do is you should go to the store, 
with the tax still on, go to customer service and let them know that you got a you got these as a gift. They are too big. You would like to get the exact same item except for smaller. Almost always they will let you do this. Almost always. Very rarely do people not let you do this. Um, if they won't let you do it, walk back out of the store and later on come back and buy, or actually, yeah, later on go buy your sh- in a smaller size and then return the bigger size with your new receipt. Do that. I will say this. If you're, if it's a small, uh, if it's a small company or a small like uh, store or whatever, and the person wearing the customer service is also going to ring you up and all, and they might be a busy body and be like, you can't do blah, blah, blah. Just go to a different location. Cause you know, sometimes people, people get up all, get all up in business. Don't have nothing to do fucking do with them. If I worked in the store, I don't give a fuck what you return. As long, as long as you have the documentation, I need to show my boss. But you know, some people are like that. But yeah, I would try at first I go to customer service. Cause I, I, I've had this happen to me before. I've had things happen where I bought something that was broken or that just wasn't wasn't the right color, wasn't the right size, and I just go back. I returned. I didn't do this on purpose, but my husband bought an Xbox. Not the, this was last year, so it wasn't the new Xbox. Bought an Xbox, and I returned it because he asked me to. Only to find out that the wrong Xbox was in there. So my husband had a broken Xbox. My husband, uh, my husband bought a new Xbox. He got the old Xbox working. So he was like, fuck that. Take this Xbox back. But he was at work. So I got the wrong fucking Xbox. I got the old Xbox and put it in the box. Yeah. Took it back and they gave me cash for it. I did not do that. <laughs> you should have heard him when he got home. He was like, princess, you took back the old, girl, you did the old switcheroo. I was like, no, I didn't fucking do that. He was like, and he was like, but you got this. I said, you told me, this is all, this is a communication problem. He told me where the Xbox was going to fucking be. He told me where it was going to be. I got it. I put it in the box and returned it. That's what I get for doing errands for my fucking husband. But they took it. They fucking took it. So, I mean, give it a whirl. This is the last one we'll do. Yesterday, I turned 17 years old. What can I do in the next 364 days to prepare for adulthood? Uh... (laughs) All right, first things first, you will not be an adult in 364 days. Maybe technically, legally, you can enter into a contract. (laughs) You can enter into a legal relationship. You can do things like that. But you can be tried as an adult. Sure, sure, sure. But you will not be an adult. Uh, It will take many more years for you to be an adult. Remember that in many ways, your brain is not fully formed until you're 25. That's a very like, you know, oversimplified way of talking about the way, you know, brain, your brain forms. But it's the truth. And so I would say that the first thing you should remember is that just because you're going to turn 18 does not mean that you're not going to make mistakes. It's not going to mean that you're not going to still be grow- in the process of growing up. In fact, you will always be in the process of growing up. I'm 40. I famously will tell you how dumb I was at 20, how I was still dumb at 30. And next in the next 10 years, when I'm 50, I'll be like, oh God, I was so dumb at 40. Because I am still learning things every fucking day. Uh, the other, in terms of like getting ready for, what being 18 means that you like have all these ability to be more mobile in terms of like where you live and what you do and making decisions. And like I said, entering legal contracts and legal relationships, get it. But I would say the most important thing you should do is to spend a lot of time, uh, being really aware of what's going on around you. Um, and then it's not, I'm not like watch the news, but I'm saying like, make sure you're having a handle on what's going on around you in the world. Don't be someone who like just has no idea, you know? Um, I'd also practice being curious because being curious is like going to be the most helpful thing that's going to happen. That's going to like help you as you get older. Uh, 
I can't tell you how many times like just pulling a thread on a conversation and, and seeing where that led me has helped me. Uh, don't, like I said, just don't be someone who, who just like super proud of being ignorant and super proud of not knowing things and super proud of not like asking questions and things. Uh, the other thing I would say, because the 18 is like the benchmark for like legal stuff, I would say work on financial literacy. I would say, let this be the year that you kind of get a handle on what it means to make money, save money, set goals, what you want your next 10 years to look like and treat money that way. Right now is a great time to get a a financial education. Um, There are, uh, I was gonna say home improvement, but I mean like personal finance books for young people. They're like really, Spend some time working on that. The other thing I do for the next year is I would make sure that I am living being 17 to the fullest, which is hard to do in a pandy, right? But I would make sure that I am getting as much enjoyment out of like still being a young person and still being someone who doesn't have as many like at 17 your responsibilities are going to be a little different than it will be at 18 especially if you plan on moving out or going to co- away to college and things and I would make sure I'm having like I'm getting those experiences I would seek out experiences because one of the things I feel causes people in their 30s and later in their 40s to really make mistakes is that they feel like they missed out on something you know they weren't doing they they feel like they didn't go to enough clubs or they didn't fuck enough people or whatever and I just don't think and then we're we're you know a lot older than we need to be trying to to relive our youth I think you should live your youth I think you should do what young people are doing I think you should work on having as many experiences as possible. Yeah, that's what I'd say. And also, this is the advice I always give to young people in general. Fuck more people. And the reason, <laughs> I obviously you're 17, I, you're a minor. I am not talking about your sex life, but I am saying that many of the of people I talk to <laughs> treat sex as if they're only going to, they, it's a coupon they have. Like they only have like a certain amount of tickets. And if they use up all the tickets, they can't have any more sex, which is not true. Sex is, you'll, you'll be having sex into your 70s, 80s, hopefully. And so, but treating sex like it's this, Sometimes we treat sex like it's this very important thing. And because we treat sex like it's an important step, we make it mean more than it means. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything about love or anything. So then because you you add, you put sex on this pedestal, then you have sex and you think you're in a certain place that you're not. And so what I would say is have sex with as many people as you want who also want to have sex with you consent is important. And, and to... Just like I said, seek out experiences. I would tell you to seek out, make sure those experiences include sexual experiences, experiences that serve you so that you're having fun in it, that you're finding pleasure and satisfaction in Not so you can tick off boxes, but things that are, that you can enjoy. Because once again, those experiences are what you're gonna take with you throughout these years. Yeah. Work on financial and uh, literacy. Make sure, like, read some self-help books. Talk to your parents. Talk to people who know what the fuck they're talking about. Like, if you have um, teachers or mentors in your life that, like, can help, talk to them. And work on creating those habits. Seek out experiences, not things. And when I said think about where you want to be in 10 years, remember that goals, those types of long-term goals are made out of, they're not made out of stone. They're not made out of glass or anything. They they don't just break, they change. They're more made out of like Play-Doh. You mold them into different things. So what you do is you get an idea of what you wanna look like in 10 years and you 
and you reverse engineer it. So if what you want to be in 10 years is A, B, and C, well, how do I get to A, B, and C? What, how do I, so work on goal setting, work on financial literacy, work on experiences, including sexual ones. But yeah, that's what I do in the next year. I, I make some plans. I read some books and I make sure that I'm, that I'm like collecting experiences. That's it. Um, is there anything? I think that's it. I think that's enough. We're we're at an hour. <sighs> I love you guys. I really do. And I appreciate you guys listening to me. I appreciate you guys um being like a part of my life this podcast. I'm well over a year in um of doing it and it's been really important to have this bit of like habit and con- and constance 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 woo Constance, consistency, this bit of consistency in my life. And I'm really grateful for it. I won't see you guys or talk to you guys before the new year, but just know I am over here going to sleep at 8.30 p.m. on the new year because it'll be the new year, whether I'm awake to see it or not. (laughs) See you guys in the year. Bye.